This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're going to announce time also. Okay, so welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Everybody, every woman is invited to join us at 1601 Quentin Road at 8 p.m. on Thursdays. I'd like to welcome a special guest from Florida and from Egypt. <laughs> so, um, long, long, uh, long flight, um, but we, we very, uh, very much appreciate you guys uh, joining us. But look up. It, look how you see it. It actually works. That when you actually say the location, it actually brings people in. So look at that. The advertisement does work. The people from advertising world were right after all. Okay. I guess there's a reason why it's a billion dollar industry. Probably a trillion dollar industry. But um, in any case, we welcome everybody. We're always uh, welcome to join our, uh, you know, new, uh, what would be the right word? People, I guess, humans. Always like to join our new humans. Um, might as well always go safe with that. So... Um, we are continuing this week. Oh, we're learning tonight the Fuash Tamatu Yechaskel Ben Sila. So we're continuing this uh, week from last week's topic, which we spoke about the man. So just a very, 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 very brief recap. That the man fell in the desert. Okay, caught up. Now let's 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 start. So now the truth is, I have to give a little bit, maybe a ten more second, uh, re, uh, you know, recap. The when when the man fell in, the Jewish people when they went to to the desert, they ran out of food. They didn't have any more food left over. The man, there's heavenly food that came down from heaven and uh, landed near the Jewish uh, people's encampment. Now the Jewish people went and they gathered this man. And they did not, they were not able to leave anything over till the next day. They had to finish everything over that, that, that night. One of the miraculous things that happened is that there was so much man that, that, for example, the first, the first time, every time that man fell, there was enough food to, to last the Jewish people for 2,000 years. The question that is asked is why did God put, number one, why did God put so much food? Number two, why didn't God do it? Why did God have to do it that every single day was like another miracle? It was another thing. It could have been on a monthly basis. Every Rosh Chodesh, more things fall from heaven. Every sh- Whatever it is, pick a day. Why did it have to be every single day? So, Rabbi Shem Bar-Chai was asked this question by his students. And he answered that there was a king. And this king went and gave his allowance to his son on a yearly basis. Now, uh, when the... This prince gets his um, his allowance on a yearly basis. How often is he going to meet the king? Once a year to get that allowance. So the king realized and said, "Listen, if I want to have more of a connection with my son, I have to give them. I have to split up that allowance. Instead of giving him a big chunk of money once a year or once a month, or whatever the, the the scenario was, let me give it to him in a more frequent basis. This way, he has to come over to me uh, more frequent. When I was in Israel uh, in in yeshiva over there, they uh, there was there was a few." There were the parents that worked this way also. So when they went and they wanted to send their kids money, they didn't send their kids money like a big chunk for the rest of the year for two reasons. Number one, the kid, I guess especially, you know, the crowd said that would just finish it within one month and be like, what? This was for the whole year? I thought this was just one month. Uh, but the, the real, you know, reason is that the parents want to have a connection. If you want to have a connection with a, with a child, so every, if let's say you send your son or your daughter money every week, so every week they're calling to say good job or whatever, you know, they're calling just to say hi. By the way, while I have you on the phone, um, do you by any chance deposit the money that we have? Very, very, very particular on that. They remember all of that. So it's better 
if you want to build a connection, it's better to give the money less money more frequently than more money less frequently. And the interesting thing is this is how it works also in Staka. If you have the option to go and give somebody, let's say you're giving one organization your money. You're giving one organization money. Is it better to go and give it one chunk at a time and be finished with it? Or is it better to give that same chunk but break it off into like, I don't know, daily or monthly? There's credit card fees. We have to be very smart about this. But is it better off to give it break clear? So from the organization side, it's better that you give them one time shot. This way they know that they got it and they could go away. That's, that is a better question, that's an easier question. I, I specifically asked this question because that question is, I already spoke about before, but that question is also good that you brought up. What is it better to give? If you have a hundred beggars lined up and you have one hundred single dollar bills, for whatever godforsaken reason you have that, right? You just came from the arcade. Okay, um, and you have these crisp mint arcade dollar bills and, uh, um, you have an option. Do you give it to the one that you decide, the one who looks the poorest, the one that you feel the, uh, your heart breaks for, or do you go and give one to each and every single person? So as a Jewish heart, generally speaking, you want to make everybody happy, so you're going to give one person every dollar. You're just going to go one, da 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 But halakhically speaking, it's a good question. What is it better? Is it better to give a whole boatload of money to one person, or is it better to spread it out? So the answer is not really represented on the taker side, but it's really more on the giver side. The more that you give, the more that you become a giver. So from their aspect, we're not even talking about, but from your aspect, it is better for you to go and constantly give money to other people because that changes who you are as a person. So even when it, when it comes to um, general charity, if, even if you're giving to one organization, so this is also, this question makes it even stronger. That's when we said you're giving it to 100 people. But let's say you're giving it to one organization. Is it better to give it all? You know, I'm not saying to do monthly payments, which is a great idea in general. I'm saying, is it, what about if you go and you have to go and take out your credit card every single time? Some people memorize a credit card. Very scary, right? <laughs> when I saw that the first time, I was like, oh, you know, like, that's, the, you know, it was a 16-digit, was a 16-digit yeah, number and the security code and the expiration date. Some heavy-duty shoppers. But... <laughs> If you have to go and take out your credit card every single time and then punch it in and then click, you know, the donate button, what would you think would be better? You're giving it to one, do- one, one organization. Is it better to give it in one shot or is it better to break it up? So the, in the same idea, in the same thought process, it's better to break it up. Why? For your perspective, it's better to break it up because you're going to end up learning to give more. The more that you give, the more that you break your habit of being stingy and the more that you're going to be able to continuously give. If you're a type of person that, that has a very hard time with giving, this is something that you should work on. Take a bunch of small change and just practice giving. It's just like a muscle exercise. So when God gave the man to the Jewish people, God wanted to go and build a relationship with the Jewish people. Yeah? Um, it's like more about like... Um but um, could I, let's say, like, the other week, I was in, like, Manhattan, and I saw this, like, homeless, like, guy, and, like, I gave him. Does that count, too? That's an interesting question when you, like regarding giving a, um, a Gentile charity. There is a lot of different opinions and how you're supposed to do it and why you're supposed to do it. And generally speaking, what I usually tell people to do, um, don't empty your pocketbook on, you know... on that's yeah, that's fine. That's uh, yeah, you should do. Uh, um, in general, what I do is, is I try specifically when there's a when there's a not when there's a gentle ask money, I specifically try to give them to give them money, even something like a dollar or something like that. Um, <laughs> it was 
What, what week is this? What month are we in? What year? Oh, hold on a second. Um, I, either it was this week or the past four weeks. Somewhere happened. <laughs> um, very recently. That's recently for me. I, the, no, it was this week. It, I'm pretty sure it was this week. I was, going to the, I was going to the synagogue. I was going to pray. And as I'm walking down over there, I see a guy. Let me give a little of, a, of an introduction on this uh, story. When you speak to a certain type, when you speak to a lot of people, you get to um, you get to understand where they're coming from and what their situation is. So, uh, if you ever, and I hope you don't, but if you ever speak to drug addicts, you get to see by their face that they're drug addicts. If yeah, you could sort of you know tell. So I was walking to the um, I was walking to the synagogue, and um, I see a guy, very dazed, confused, glossy. I he had all the signs and symptoms of like he's on something. And he's walking right past by, and he sat down right by, like, some... He walked up someone's driveway and sat down on, like, the, there was, like, a little step over there. Which, right away, like, you know, in Brooklyn, you don't do that. You sit down outside the driveway. You never go inside the driveway. Yeah, that's, the, you know, whatever. For those in Brooklyn, people know to, you know, you stay away from people's properties. So, right away, that dream. Then, this was the house right next to the, to the shul, right next to the synagogue. I go, I keep on walking, and I'm walking right in, right in front of the synagogue, and then there's another guy... No kippah, no tzitzit, no nothing. Comes over, now that it says anything nowadays, but he comes over to me, the same facial expression, couldn't concentrate, and he was like, uh, he asked me for, for some money. So I had a few thoughts that, that, that came to my mind. Number one is, this guy is, and I actually asked him, I'm like, are you on anything? I goes, ah, whatever, don't, don't, don't do my, what I do, but this is what I do, right? So, yeah, don't, don't, don't do this, but he came, he, he was, he was literally walking down, to the steps to the synagogue, and I was sitting by the en- I was standing by the entrance, go- walking in. And I see, I see him like stumbling over. So I decided, let me wait by the entrance and let me see what happens. And he's like walking, he's walking down the stairs, and then he, you know, he's like, and then finally his eyes meet mine. He's like, oh, he's like, you have like money, <laughs> and, and and I realized he was asking for for charity. So the first question was, I was like, um, are you are you on anything? Um, and his response was, I just want to end it all. Which was not the question that I asked, <laughs> if you understand. So um, we did have a little bit of a conversation, but then he asked for money. So the question was, what I thought about. Now, if a drug addict comes over to you, right? If somebody comes over to you with a needle hanging out of his arms and be like, "Hey, I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten in a long time. I need like ten dollars, you know, for a meal. Can I have some money?" You don't give that person money because that person is going to go and use that money for drugs and whatever it is the abuse that he's using. So it's better not to give those type of people money. Now. This is a person that's very out of it, obviously, not in a good state of mind. I actually asked him if he wants to go to the hospital, if I wanted to call, whatever. We entered like the whole criteria that I needed to go through in these situations. Uh, but I asked him, I said, you know, like, can you, he didn't want anything. So now my question was, do I give this guy money? Because I know he's not going to use it for the right thing. But at the same point in time, there was a synagogue full of people over there. Now the last thing that you want to do before praying mincha is have a drug addict walk into the synagogue and do whatever drug addicts do. So in my mind, it was better, and this is this was just a, it was better for me to give him some money to get him to go away, as opposed to let him linger around over there and who knows what will cause afterwards. But in general, 
you know, you don't give drug addicts money. Now, again, how do you know that there's a drug addict? Don't just assume people are drug addicts. In New York, everybody feel, looks like a drug addict. It's not necessarily a situation. If you're familiar with it, then you'll understand it. But otherwise, don't delve into it. But in general, in those type of situations, you don't give money. But otherwise, a little bit of money, it always good. It gives, gives a kiddush Hashem. I'll tell you one last, I think I said this story before. I, I was in the subway, um, unfortunately once. And, um, I was in the subway and, um, there was somebody that was going and was collecting. You guys just went to the subway? Oh, no, no. She doesn't Yeah, I agree. It's definitely not. You have to shower in Purell afterwards. So, the, um, and then going to the mikvah. Oh, whatever. It's a long story. My dad the, goes, like, every day and, like, complains about, like, Yeah, no, it is. It is a problem. I had to go very often there. But, Baruch Hashem, now I don't have to. But I used to. I have plenty of stories in, the, in my subway stories. But one of the, one of the stories was, um, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I say what I've heard from Rabbi Fischel Schachter. I like to say stories. I don't like to be in stories. Um, so, no, whatever. But Hashem, you know, can't complain. So the, so I'm, I'm, there was there was a beggar that goes on the trains. Now this is another whole question in its entirety. I don't know why we got speaking about. It. I don't know. Hopefully we'll get back to the mind. Like I asked. About it. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll wrap up this and we'll go back to the mind. Now when when. There is a law, I don't know if you're supposed to, you're not, whatever, it's, you know, you're not supposed to give charity on, on the subway, people are not supposed to ask. I'm not exactly sure on the, on the, on, on the baseline, on the, on the details of the law, but there is a problem for people begging on the subway. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening. So, I was sitting on the subway, it was one of those times, those rare times you're able to catch a seat, and I was sitting on the subway, and, um, when I was sitting on the, uh, you know, on the subway, there was somebody who was going around collecting, you know, charity. Now, you look at me, I, I'm very obviously a Jew. I don't try to hide it. You know, like I am as Jew as a Jew. I'm a very Jewy person, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm all Jew all around. And um, I got my kippah. I got like, I think I was reading a stuff or something. This guy's going and collecting uh, something. You know, he's collecting money. So I look at him. I think for a second, I take out a dollar. I give it to him. End of story. I go back into the into the book. Now the train on my side was pretty empty. It was just me. I don't know if you guys have ever seen to the train. So the, the the new trains, the new trains, everything, whatever. Real, you know, relatively speaking, there is um, there is a bench. There's a very long bench, yeah. and it's split by a pole that you could hold on. Yeah, yeah. So I was on one side of the pole, and there was another person on the other side of the pole. That other person took up. That whole section. <laughs> right? May, yes. may God bless her soul. Right? Took up the whole section. And I gave the, I gave the, um, the charity. And then. Is that next to you? No, she sat, no, he didn't sit next to me, but she was over there. And then I feel the whole train like tilting up. You know, I'm just kidding. So she leans over and she's like, I like that. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> no, thanks. Um, and then she's, and then she went on, she said, and she's like, you know, I like it that, you know, you have a Jewish person gives another, another person, you know, charity. And she didn't give the guy any money. <laughs> but she was very happy that I gave, uh, you know, I, a Jew, gave somebody else money. Now, that is something that we call a Kiddush Hashem. Now, is it worth a dollar to do a Kiddush Hashem? For sure it's worth a dollar. So in many situations, when you're going to do a Kiddush Hashem with that money, it's very, very important to uh, to do so. Regarding the halachic ideas and ramifications on giving, there's a whole, uh, you know, halachic, you know, discussion on it. But in general, when it comes to Kiddush Hashem, it's one of the most, uh, the, the greatest mitzvah that you could do. Okay, so now, going back to our, um, 
topic at hand, which is the man. Uh, well, the truth is, it's really on topic, because the man is really about panasah. Panasah is really all based on charity. If you give more charity, you get more panasah. So we're really, we're on topic. We never went off topic. So stop saying that I went off topic. Why are you looking at me like that? Okay, so now moving, uh, moving along. The, the, the way that I work with man is that when, when you go and the day is over and you finish your man, you have to have everything gone. There can be nothing left over until the next day. Meaning that, you have to go to sleep with nothing in your cabinets, nothing in your bank account, nothing, 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 and you're left only based on your faith in God that you're going to have food rain down from heaven tomorrow. Now, this is a level, a very, very high level of faith. In fact, the sages tell us that if somebody goes and somebody has food for today and he's worried about food for tomorrow, that person is known as someone who has little faith. Now, obviously, this is a very, very high level. But look at the level that the Jewish people, you know, reached in the going on, on you know, in the desert right before Matan Torah. They gave everything up every single night. Can you imagine that? They were not allowed to. But they're also on such a level that they didn't have to have any shambles. They were like, all you have to do is just have faith and return. So you're saying that that's true after the 30th year. What about the first night? That was very difficult. The first night you have enough food to last you for 2,000 years. So you're right. Hashem had all this miracle. And you're right. You do have to do all the Ishtadut. But what happens... When a miracle happens to you, are you all of a sudden like, God, I am here for you. I'm ready to fast for 3,000 years. I'm ready to do all the mitzvot. Or are you going to be like, thank you, God, on a good day. And then you go back to your regular life. <laughs> How does it work? Everybody, every single person has miracles that happen to them, if not daily, monthly. Miracles. Yeah. I'm talking about miracles. Now, do we change it? But we see these miracles. Not possible. I've spoken to people. And I've said, do you accept miracles? Do you, you accept miracles? <laughs> no, only Visa Mastercard. But, what, what, when something like scary like happened, I freaked out and then like, I, I like, took steps to like, that's very good. Grow. But not, not everybody is like that. Some people will go and will, will have a miracle happen to them and then they'll continue living their life. Oh, well, they will disregard that miracle. They will, you know, leave it as whatever, you know, like as coincidence. And some people wish miracles would happen, but it doesn't really, you know, like somebody, Let's not call him a Jew, but somebody it misses a flight, you know, because he was lazy, he was late, whatever. He missed a flight. What is his first thought? That that plane is going to crash. And he, in a, there's a small part of him or her that kind of wants that plane to crash. Be like, you see, look what God did to me. I went and I missed the flight because six months ago I gave a quarter to the charity, and then this is what had happened. You see. And this is what happens. So, in a way, but, oh, no, sometimes you're, you know, a lazy person, you didn't go on time, whatever, there's different reasons, and no, the plane shouldn't crash just because it'll make you feel good that God is watching out over you. You don't have to go and see these crazy miracles in order to, to observe God in your life. If you're able to open your eyes, you'll see God in the small details. The big, the, the bigger the person, the smaller details you're able to see God. The smaller the person, they need bigger things in order to see God. Everything is, yeah. is this thinking. Yeah, thank you. So, um, the, Okay, so now one of the re- one, uh, th- so one of the reasons we said that the man fell every single day as opposed to a monthly or a yearly basis was because God wanted to have a connection with the Jewish people. Now imagine you just ate, and now there's no more food left over. Before you go to sleep, be like, you know, dear God, it's me again. Yeah, I know, I speak every night, whatever. Um, but uh, please, can we have some food tomorrow? You have like, you build a connection. When you're building a connection, oh, this is what God wants. This is what happens on a daily basis. But there was another reason that God also put the man to fall every single day as opposed to a yearly or monthly basis. And that is, imagine you would be traveling in the desert and you have to schlep around 
40 years worth of food. You know how difficult that is? (laughs) God said, listen, don't worry about it. Wherever you go, I'll send it for you. And some people, don't think about it, but it happens nowadays. Some people need to go... Uber Eats. Yeah, there you go. You had had Uber Delivery... Uber God by um, uh, Uber Heaven, right? It comes directly to your doorstep. You don't have to tip. You don't have to rate. You don't have to do anything. It comes straight to you. All depends on your religious, you know, uh, you know, observance. So, the, the the this concept that God was taking care of you no matter where you went. Now, and nowadays people get upset. You know, like I understand God is like a and then you move or you're traveling. It would be very difficult if you would have built up a business in this particular area, and then you went and moved to a different area, you wouldn't have been able to do it. So God is taking care of you on a daily basis. Some people God is taking on a yearly... Whatever it is, God is taking care of you. That's one lesson that you uh, that you learn from here. One of the many lessons. Uh, you know, additionally, one of the things that we learned over here is that livelihood is depending on your religious observance. If the, the more that you are connected to spirituality, the easier and simpler and the tastier that the man came for you. The less that you are, the harder, more difficult, and less tastier the man was for you. So everything happened in, in sort of in relation to how religious you are and how connected you are to spirituality. And this is a huge, huge lesson. We, we, there, there's a skula that we read this, this section of the Torah every single morning for Panasa. You want Panasa, you read this section of the month. A lot of the, a lot of the Sidurim, a lot of the prayer books have this after Shachrit prayers. They have this section written down in the, um, it, you know, after you finish praying, you have this section written down. Now a lot of people read it for, for school after Panasa. Now one of the things that you learn from here is that, you have a question? So give me one second, one second, yeah, let me finish this talk. Uh, so one of the, one of the, one of the things that you learn from here is that when you're connected to, you know, the more connected you are to spirituality, the more the connected you are to God, the more God is going to take care of your needs. Now, God is going to take care of everybody's needs. And it depends on the different uh, variables that come into play over here. But the more that you're connected to God, the more easier and simpler that you're going to see that. Now, there's a slew of questions that we could ask on this, and maybe we'll have time. Is that what you were going to ask? We're going to, let's leave that for afterwards, and we could, we could uh, we, if we have time, we could go and, and speak about that. So, originally, when the, when the man fell down, the people were very nervous. They said, listen, the rich people have a lot of servants, they have a lot of power, they have a lot of family members. They could collect a lot more man than we can, than the simple people, than the poor people. It's not fear. But one of the things that they realized is no matter how you collected the man, if you are aggressive and you just started like collecting from the early morning, collected till the very end of the day, or until the man melt, at the end of the day, everybody had left over no more than an Omer measurement per person. That's all that you had left over. So the wealthy, the poor, the aggressive, the less aggressive. I don't want to say lazy because that's in a different category. The less aggressive. They all were left over with the same amount of man that they were supposed to have, which is an omer. One of the lessons over here is that regardless of where you are in life, after 120, you're going six feet under. And six feet under, everybody goes in the same way. Six feet under the ground. No, you're buried. You're buried. Yeah. Okay, okay. No, we didn't get that dark yet. It's just the beginning of the class. Let me give me some time. Burial spots are all the same. Mm. Oh, that's what the, that's the talking about spirituality. But regarding to how much money you make, you can't take it down into the into the grave with you. If there's someone a gazillionaire and there's someone that's a negative gazillionaire, they're both getting buried the same way. The same wear, the same place, the same dress, the same way. They're in the tachachim. They're all they're all in the same place. You cannot change anything in you know the next world. So regardless of whatever you gather in this world, you're left with an omel. You're left with whatever it is that you're supposed to get, and that's where you have to go into the next. Uh, that's how you. That's how you're going into the next world. But how does that happen? They would gather a lot. They would like lose it by the time they get Yeah. So if you had some people that they would gather a lot, and by the time they came home, it was only an omer. 
house. And you had some people that gathered, you know, less, and they were like, you know, okay, okay, and they came home, and it was a, a miraculously expanded. There are different interpretations that some say that they ha- if they gather too much or too little, they had to go back and return it or get more. So they tried to make sure, they, but it took time to learn this lesson. Checkers, that made them like, go back and bring it back. If what? They have to. They, there is an. Let's say you have five people in your family. You get five omers per your family. If you took too little, you have to go back and get more. So it's not like a checker. You just had to figure it out by yourself when you came home. You know, an omer, whatever was the way that the measurement. It was like you're talking about what was we said, two kilo or something along those lines. So. Oh, so we'll, we'll speak about what happens with the leftovers, if there are any leftovers. Um, I don't know if you met any American child today, but they eat more than adults. <laughs> so, um, but... <laughs> right, that's true, back then. So, back then, so you, our grandparents, all I had was a pear for a week, you know? <laughs> and it was stale. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, the... <laughs> the... Now, the, the, the way that it works, really, the way that it works with Panasa is that on Rosh Hashanah, God decrees how much money you're going to have. If you're supposed to have $150,000 that year, then you're going to make $150,000 that year. No more, no less. Now, what happens, let's say somebody's very aggressive. He's going to go, and he's going to go, and he's going to swindle, he's going to cheat, he's going to somehow make $300,000. Is that possible? Can that person who was decreed on Rosh Hashanah to make $150,000, can that person make $300,000? Oh, very good. Excellent. Right on the target. They could make that three hundred thousand dollars, but they're not going to gain anything from the extra one fifty. They're going to end up making some investment, and they're going to end up losing it. They're going to end up going to some medical. Whatever it's going to go, whatever God has many ways, many messengers, and whatever it is, it's going to go. At the end of the day, you're supposed to get whatever it is that you want to get. Your main tafkid, your main goal in life is spirituality. You have other things that you need to do. You need to work. Yes, you need to do. A, you know, a lot of other things. You need to study school. There's a whole slew of things you need to do. But if your focus in life is on the spirituality, after on the on the physicality, on the on the monetary gains, you have to realize what. Whatever you're supposed to make, you're going to make. Regardless of how God is going to get it to you, you're going to open up your own business, you're going to work for somebody, God is going to take care of you, whatever it is that you're supposed to make. But if you don't focus on that, and if you focus on your spirituality, then you'll have more time to focus on spirituality. God will take care of that. So why is it that, like, let's say, like, businessmen are richer than rabbis, for example? First of all, depending on the rabbis that you know. I know well, plenty of rabbis that like, are very, very wealthy. Okay, like, the average, like, rabbi who teaches, like, you know... I know what you're talking about, and I know who you're talking about. Yeah? But you know what? They do good things with their money. I know personally. So, I won't say it on camera, but I'll say it off camera. I won't, I won't say it on camera, but I'll say it... I'll say it, uh, I'll say it off camera. Am I right? Is that what you're referring to? I don't know. Okay. So, stop being so nosy. Okay. So, um, I don't know them anyway. <laughs> so, anyways, so now, so, okay. He's talking about the community. I know that he knows Yes. So, I am talking about the community, you know. I know. Okay, so now, there is, um, when, when, the, when the people went to collect the man, who went to collect the man? The head of the household went to collect the man. Not the children, not the wives, only the head of the household. Why only the head of the household? So number one, because the, if the, if, 
food comes from heaven. And the children don't really have to rely on the parents. They could say, listen, God is going to take care of us, going to rely, you know, everything is on that. So there will be a lax, there will be a, 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 um, a decrease possibly in the kibbutz of the aim, in the honoring of your parents. So God said, no, no, no. Only the, the head of the household, that's the person that's going to go around and collect the money, because collect the, 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 the man, because this way the children still have to honor it, and there's still going to be a kibbutz of aim, there's still going to be a more of an incentive to do a kibbutz of aim. The additional reason is that women, for example, would not go out to collect, because it would be immodest for women to mingle with the men that are collecting, uh, that, that are collecting the omer. Now, when you collect the Omar, you're only allowed to collect for your family. You're not allowed to collect, you'll be like, oh, listen, I got you today. Well, you're like carpool, right? So we'll carpool a car Omar, right? Omar pool, whatever. You do, ah, oh, there we go. Omar pool bar, oh, what was we talking about? Okay. Uber, Uber pool, right? Okay, fine. So we listen. We'll collect Sunday, you do Monday, you do Tuesday, you do Wednesday, and we all relax. No, no, everybody has to collect every single day for their own things. You can't collect for another family. You cannot collect more and then sell it to another family. You could collect it and you can only do one thing, you can only eat for it. Now, the, there was a rule that we mentioned many times already, that there was an omer per person. And this solved many mysteries. For example, give three examples. Number one, if there was a slave, and the slave goes over to the, you know, to the head person, the judge, the rabbi, and he says, listen, he says, I'm no longer a slave. He says, this guy freed me, my owner freed me, and I should not be a slave anymore. And the owner comes in and be like, hey, listen, I have a document that's saying that I did it, that I bought you. Would you have a document that I freed you? And what would the judge say? He'd be like, listen, let's wait. Let's see what happens with the man tomorrow. If the man falls in the, in the property or in the designation of the owner, then we know the slave belongs to the owner. For example, let me, let me make it a little bit clear. Let's say this family has five people in the family. So the next day, the judge goes to the person and says, how many, how many, uh, Omer measures did you measure, did you have for your, you know, yesterday? He says, five for my family. He says, what about six for your slave? If he didn't have a six one for a slave, that means the slave went free. If he did have a six one, that means the slave didn't go free. Would, the, would it automatically have a six Omer? Would you automatically have it? Or he had to collect it. says he collected five. Regardless of whatever you collected more, you ended up with the same amount. He would have had a six? He would have had, yeah, if you would have collected, you would have ended up having a six, according to the, yeah. Consensus. So the there was another one. If there was also, if let's say people were, uh, you know, in question regarding the paternity of a of a child. So if let's say a woman. Now we have an alcha. Um, and by the way, this was before the Torah was given. We have an alcha. If a woman gets divorced, she has to wait a certain amount of time before she gets remarried again. Anybody know how long? Three, three months. months. Very good. Why three months? In case you're pregnant. So by three months, you know if a woman is pregnant or not. So this way you know if it's the first husband or the second husband that's the father of the child. But let's say before the Torah was given. Let's say there was a woman that, got, that went and, and, and was married, was divorced, and then got married again very short time afterwards. The question is, who's the father of this child? So they would wait to see where the Omer would fall. If the Omer would fall in the first child's parents, then the father, then we know it belongs to that. If the Omer would fall in the second, you know, then we know it belongs to that. There was also... Another, you know, solution that happened, if let's say a man and a woman had an argument, and the, you know, the argument, you know, escalated, the woman left and went to her, her, her father's house. So, in order to see who was correct in the situation, let's see where the, where the Omer fell. If the man fell in, if the man went into the father's, so the woman, the wife's father's house, we know that the wife is right. But if the man fell in the husband's house, we know the husband's right. So this, 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 uh, solution of like one Omer per family was able to uh, resolve many mysteries that people had, many questions that people had. So, now the question is, let's say somebody didn't want to eat so much. Let's say some, someone didn't want to eat Omer. 
He's used to fasting, he's, you know, he's dieting, you know, regimen, just left Egypt, they ate a lot of matzah, you know how it works at the Pesach, right? Yes. You're talking about a Pesach of a few hundred years, oh right? God. So they want to go on a diet, right? Listen, maybe they don't want to eat so much man, maybe they want to relax a little bit, even though there was, you know, man was a spiritual food. There was not something that, there was no, uh, you know, the, the, the body didn't really have to go to the bathroom after the man. But they, they went and, and they decided they didn't want to eat so much. So what that person was able to do is that person wasn't required to eat a full Omer amount. What he would either do, if there would be any leftover, he would, he would throw it into the, um, the river. There was a river that, that uh, from all the melted man, from all the extra man, there was a river that, strand, that, that ran through the camps. They would be able to throw the extra man over there. Or if they wanted to, they could give it to the lazy people that woke up very late by the time all the man melted and they didn't have any man left over. So they were able to go and give it to them if they so wished to do. But uh, they were not able to leave over any man for the next uh, for the next day. So this law of not leaving man to the next day was obeyed by most people. There was a few select few. Some of them are no. Uh, some of them is the infamous you know uh, troublemakers, Datan, Dasan, and Aviram. They uh, left over. But was something very interesting. The Jewish woman, without a exception, every single one of them followed this rule. They did not go and, and leave over any single man. They, the Jewish woman, time and time again, proved to, proved to, the, proved to God, proved to the Jewish nation, they're the ones that are upholding the Torah. They're the ones that don't bend over. Power to the woman, right? Oh. Gotta go, gotta bring that back though. <laughs> History is nice, but you gotta repeat itself. So, the, <laughs> happens to be that the Mishiach is gonna come and marry of the woman. <laughs> that is true. Because of that, because of the woman, Mashiach is going to come. <laughs> Listen, you're both women. So the no, but the the woman the, the woman were were known to help bring the geula. They will be known to bring the the big the geula. It's nice, but you have a lot of a lot on your head. It's all on you. You got to make sure. Like, come on, guys. I've been waiting for a long time for Mashiach. Where is Mashiach? Ah, now what are you going to say? The men's got to take out the garbage. Equal rights, but the men's got to take out the garbage. The men's got to pay for dates. Equal rights! When I want it. Selective equal rights. Okay, so, what is it called? Selective hearing? Okay. Um, but in any case, the, no, no, no. The truth is, the, the women do have a tremendous amount of power, and this is why they raise the kids. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of, of, of influence that the women have over, over any other, um, man, child, human, etc. Okay. So, uh, go, okay. Going back. So now, the, the Datana Veran went, and they decided that they're gonna leave over the man. Now, they made it a very public display that they're going to leave over the man. They opened up their pantry doors and their tents, and however that worked, right? I don't know if it was this. I don't think they had hinges back then. But they went and they opened up the pantry, and they said, look, we're leaving over the man till the next, till the next day. The next day, what happened? The man was filled with maggots and flies, and there were worms, huge worms that they were so big that they came to eat the man that it, it caused a vibration on the floor. Now, if you understand the size of these worms have to be, because worms don't jump. You ever seen a worm and like after a rainy day? I don't know how to explain this. Then. They do this thingy. <laughs> 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 They're not even like snakes. 
Snakes slither. They don't slither. They, 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 you know, they, yeah, they were so that they vibrated. That's how, that's how big that they were to go and, and, um, destroy. Lesson that you learn time and time again, don't test God. If God tell you don't do this, don't be one of those people be like, no, what about if I'm going to do this? You know, does God really care? God, I have a connection with God. God knows me. You know, like I could totally not keep showing up. Relax. Don't question God. You know, learn history. One thing that you do not do is you do not question God. But they went and they left it over. And the worms uh, came and uh, destroyed the entire, you know, they ate all, 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 the, all the man. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu, that next morning was supposed to teach the Jewish people about the laws governing the man for Shabbat. What was the laws that you supposed to, on Friday it's supposed to be double and you can't, you collect double and whatever. There's a whole laws that, that Moshe Rabbeinu had to do. But now when Moshe Rabbeinu go, went and he saw all these fruit flies, all the rotten man, he, he, would, he got furious, he got angry. He said, are you serious? He's like, how long do you have to test God? How many times, time and time again, do you have to go and test God? You failed miserably. Look what God, God told you, do not leave the vote over. And you left it over. Do you not have any faith in him? So... Because Moshe Rabbeinu was so overcome by the pain, like he, he was like, this is food from heaven. And you went and you caused it to be defiled by worms, you caused it to be defiled by maggots and flies, because you decided that you know better. And he was so upset, so angry, that it slipped his radar to go and start speaking about the halachot for Shabbat for man. So he didn't even, he didn't, uh, you know, end up speaking about it. And Amlaz brings down that there is a tradition that if somebody goes and loses his temper, if he is wise, he will lose his wisdom. If he's a prophet, he will lose his prophecy. When somebody loses their temper, they lose themselves. They're not themselves anymore and they lose what they had as well. Are not supposed to get angry? No. They're not supposed to get angry. Where is there a time in the Torah that you are, that there was an okay time? I'm going to give it up, but uh, to get zealous. What? Pinchas, yeah, zealous, right? It wasn't angry, it was, but it doesn't say that he got angry. It was, it was zealous. It was, it was, uh, um, yeah. It was. Uh, how do you say it in English, though? In general, zealous. Thank you, zealous. Anger. I feel like Hashem wouldn't like want us to like to let you like repress things. So I'll get you in a second. It's not like healthy or whatever. You just keep it all like inside. Ah, oh, so this is a good question. So before... I always, always wondering. Okay, before I answer your question... I do that. I'm like, it's not... Okay, so before I answer your question, your question was, how did Moshe Rabbeinu kill an Egyptian? Yeah. Okay. It was with us in Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... Um, so what happened was with Moshe Rabbeinu, and then I'll get to your question. Yeah, sure. And then possibly we'll finish our subject sometime midnight. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's the first time that I had a question from a uh, from Hollywood. Um, so Moshe Rabbeinu did go and kill an Egyptian. Now, what did what did he do to kill it? What, what was the whole purpose? Like, why did, did he get angry? What was what was the understanding behind killing the Egyptian? So Moshe Rabbeinu goes out to go. And by the way, this is how Moshe Rabbeinu was introduced to to the Jewish nation. Is is he went and he killed a, a mystery. When he went out, he goes out and he uh, sees on his first day out in the field in the Jew, he sees a Egyptian about to hit a a uh, a, uh, a Jew. Now, why did Egyptian <laughs> about to hit, hit a Jew? Does anybody know the backstory behind this? Very good. Oh, excellent. So there was uh, the, oh. this Egyptian went and um, the Jews had to wake up very early in the morning, and one Egyptian was very fond of another Jewish person's wife. So he called the Jew out early in the morning, and then he went back into the house as, you know, I guess, 
under the disguise of being still a Jew, to be intimate with this Jewish person's wife. So when this person, when, when the Jew found out, he, he you know, confronted the, the Egyptian. And this is where Moshe Rabbeinu comes in, and he sees this scene. He sees the scene where a Jew is about to, uh, where an Egyptian is about to hit a Jew. Now, what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? Moshe Rabbeinu, it says in the Pasuk, he looked, he looked back and forth. He looked left and right, he looked, and then he saw no one was there, and he went and he killed the Egyptian. What does it mean that he looked back and forth? What was he looking for? It wasn't that he was looking back and forth to see that he was a prince. If he wanted it, he was able to do... But what was he really looking for? What he was looking for was to see, and through Ruach HaKadosh, through prophecy, to see, is anybody good going to come out of this Egyptian? Maybe there's somebody, maybe there's a great, great, great grandchild that's going to be someone good that comes out of here. Now, what, what am I asking like that? Let's say somebody had the opportunity to murder Hitler when he was a baby. Would you say that would be humanistically correct? No. no. You would say it wouldn't be correct? No, that's because like... I think like like one of like his relatives is Jewish now. I think I heard that Hitler's relatives. Most people would say, "Yeah, I will murder that baby." You know, there's like very few instances where you could say you'll murder a baby, and people would be like, "Yeah, you know, that sounds about right." <laughs> and I'm not talking about the liberal, you know, pro. Pro, abortion, what is that called? It's not pro-life, what is the other um, one? Pro-choice. pro-choice? I love it how they say pro-choice, so it's pro-death. <laughs> pro-life, pro-death. <laughs> pro-choice, no, 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 not that, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> pro-terrorist or normal. You know, like, it, like, no, it's normal and not normal. <laughs> you know, stop changing it to make it sound better. You're murdering a child inside a woman's womb. You know, like, if you ever seen how abortion is done, they chop it up and then they suction it out and then they put the pieces back together again. Right? And this is not a story about Humpty Dumpty. This is a story about a human life that's inside over there. But, not speaking about abortion, but when you have that, when you go and you, somebody has that, why would that be okay all of a sudden to go and murder this, this, because oh, all the troubles that came out of it. So Moshe Rabinu, but before he went and he murdered this Egyptian, he went and he said, is there anything good that's going to come out of him? Anything. His children, his grandchildren, his great, 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 great grandchildren. He saw nothing as good is going to come out of him. So he saw that in, on, under his, you know, you know, circumstances, and he, what he did was correct, he went and he killed this Egyptian. He saved this Jewish person's life. And there's a few other, you know, things that we could plug into play over here. If let's say somebody's going to go and murder, you know, you have a... Um, being that we spoke about, you know, Hitler, let's say you speak about the Holocaust, let's say you have somebody that's going and um, make the, paint this scenario. There is a, there's a Nazi... What? Before we even kill one, say many. There's a Nazi officer out in the woods. There's a Jewish person on their knees. The Nazi officer has a revolver pointed on the Jewish person's head. You are an amazing sniper. And you have a gun pointed at the Nazi. Are you allowed to go and kill this Nazi? Yes, I would. Yeah. You would? Yes. So all of a sudden, what we see over here is we're painting the same scenario. We're just painting it in a different light that we kind of understand it more. Our questions sort of fade away. So when Moshe Rabbeinu went and killed this Egyptian that was going to do who knows what to the Jew, all of a sudden, oh, you know, maybe what he did was right. And what he did was, was, was right. But now we have to answer your question. Yeah. Your question is, what do you do when you're angry? If you're really angry, it's not good to keep it inside. Because then what happens? Nuclear, right? Eventually you get angry, angry, angry. You keep it inside. And then it's like... Um, yeah, it's like a balloon. You keep on blowing it up. And eventually it's all inside. The air is all inside. But then you just blow one little too much. And then 
you know, everything goes, goes and explodes. So is it better when you're angry to withhold anger and keep it to yourself, or is it better to go and let it out? So there is a room, I don't know if it's still in business anymore, but there was a thing in Manhattan that they had something called, known as a, I don't know if the, this is the name of it, but it was known as like a scream room, where you could go into this padded room, most likely meant for mentally disabled people, and you would be able to scream as much as you want. So if you had a hard day at work, you go into the scream room, and then you just let it out. And you take the lamp over there, and you throw it against the wall, right? And then you just destroy and scream and become like a, a scary gorilla. It's healthy, yeah. though. Otherwise, you're no, to get it out. Oh, it's a scream, but not the door. So let's, let's try to understand. So psychologically speaking, psychologically speaking, they thought, listen, you're like what you said, it's, you know, better to let it all out. Then to uh, let it yeah. out like a bit. I'm saying, not like keep it all like in and just like be like, no, I'm fine. There's some people could uh, you know let out. But let's say someone's really angry. Is there ever a time that you could smash a lamp? No. No. Is there ever a time that you should scream? Oh, very good. So uh, there's not a class about anger, but there's a lot that we could speak about anger. But when you go and you d- you scream and you let it out, people think, okay, at least I'm letting it out. That's not letting it out. Dealing with anger is not dealing with anger the way that your emotions are dealing with anger. Dealing with anger is dealing with it intellectually, not emotionally. When people scream, when people get angry, that's dealing with something emotionally and not intellectually. You want to deal with anger? You're right. You don't want to blow up, but you know how to deal with it intellectually. Intellectually, you don't scream. You don't get you know you don't get riled up. You think about it. You bring yourself down. You you put you put you put it everything in perspective. That's dealing with anger in the healthy way. Anything other than that is emotionally unstable. Is emotionally unhealthy. It's feeding into your your desires. It's feeding into your anger. What's going to happen next time if you go to this anger room, to the scream room, and you go and you destroy there are the room? Certain, like things though that are very like traumatizing, and and like a person gets like very like. Angry, you can't just think like about it and like be, and, and, and be fine. So for some people, they need to take medication, not drugs. They need to take medication, not alcohol. They need to take medication. But for other people in the moment, funny, in, the, in the moment, no, you're right. For other people in the moment, they need to go and take a walk. Yeah, and not deal with something. Get it out somehow. Taking a walk is different Getting out, getting it out I'm is. Not saying like. It's not. Like, it's not like, getting it out. It's calming down. Like, like, let's say, like. Okay, we'll speak. We'll have to give a class about like, this sometime. Sorry. No problem. But we're just like. We're not halfway like, through, <laughs> and we're already time over. I'm just like being like, I, no, I can't yeah. take it. Yeah. I'm like, you're you just count like your your pillow, and like be like done like with it. No, actually. No, we did not. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So now let's try, let's try, let's try to, let's try to go through this, um, let's try to go through this thing. Okay. It's getting late. Let's do it. I'm more than happy to answer questions, but let's leave it till the end of the class and then we'll answer all the questions. So from now till the end of the class. 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 Yeah, there we go. Thank you. So, okay, fine. I didn't realize how late it was. It's, it's amazing. Okay. So when you're learning Torah, you're having fun. Time flies. It's awesome. You're enjoying it. It's great. You don't even realize it. Okay. So. Friday comes. Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to go and speak about the uh, was supposed to speak about the man. The man, you know, came. You know, the the you know the days came and went. He got angry. It, it slipped his radar, and he didn't speak about it. Friday morning, the time has come that the double portion of man fell. But Moshe Rabbeinu didn't speak about yet about the, to, the, to the Jewish people. So the Jewish people come. And they see that more man fell today than every other day. And they also realize that after the fourth hour, the man didn't melt. There was so much more man left over. 
So they had a question. They said, what's, what's up with all this increase of man? So they went over to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, Moshe Rabbeinu, what's up with all this, with all this man? So Moshe Rabbeinu, really, I should have told you this before, but because of the anger that I had with Hassan and Abiran and their, and their crew, the, 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 the laws are that on Friday, there was gonna be a double portion of man that's gonna fall. Shabbat, no man is gonna fall. You're gonna save over the man from Friday to Shabbat, and don't worry, it's not gonna spoil, you're not gonna have worms, you're not gonna have anything, the Shabbat is gonna go and, and, and burn it, protect it. So, that's what happened Friday, the Jewish people realized that they didn't have, they have to collect double, they collected double, and the next day came for, the next day was Shabbat. Now Shabbat, Dasan and Abiran decided, you know what, let's try to see what we are able to do. And they came with a plan. The Canevian troublemakers came up with a plan. What did they say? They said, listen, let's save over some extra man, let's call some of our friends, Moshe Rabbeinu said that on Shabbat, no man is going to fall down. We're going to go into the fields late Friday night and plant our man out in the fields. So when the Jewish people wake up, they're going to go in the fields, they're going to see the man, they're going to, we're going to show Moshe Rabbeinu is wrong, and we're going to win whatever it is that they were going to win. Let's go do everything afterwards. And they were like, and everybody's going to laugh at Moshe Rabbeinu. And everybody, you think about it for a second, what was up with Dasan and Viran? Like, what was their goal? You, dark, twisted minds. If you, if you look at it, most of the times, the, the, most of the time, they didn't have a problem with God. They had a problem with Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what they had a problem with. They didn't, they, you know, the problem is they wanted to deny the fact of, the son of God, they didn't die in the, in the plague of darkness. They lasted, they lasted all the way until Korach. Oh, it was a different question than sorry. After, after. So, they went and they, they were able to last until the Korach, what, you know, so they, they had something to them, but yet they were always against Moshe Rabbeinu, they always tried to undermine him. The, the, you have this, um, unfortunately nowadays, certain type of people, that they go, I deal in the cure of world, so I, I see this a lot, where you have, you know, people go and they, they bash certain cure of techniques, certain cure of rabbis. Oh, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, this person, they didn't even call him a rabbi. Mr. This person. I'm not even going to indulge him in saying that, you know, who these people speak about. And the first question that when people, sometimes I get these questions presented to me. And I'm like, oh, so you're in the cure field. So you must know because you're against this technique. So you must know the techniques, right? Because you're in the field. They're like, no, no, I'm not in the, uh, in the care of uh, world. I'm like, do you teach Torah? Do you know anything about anything? Like, can you give me something? They're like, no, we don't do anything. So... Let me get this straight. So you have a problem with this technician, with his technique, but you're, you're not in the field. So you're like one of those Yelp reviewers that has no idea what's going on, but you decide, you know what? There's, for some reason, I have 16 hours of my time. I'm going to write a 16-page review on how rude they were to my, you know, whatever. You know, like, really? Like, that's who you're arguing about? You know nothing about it, the field. Then why are you going and complaining and arguing and saying, no, this thing is wrong? And you have, people have this specialty. There's some people that special specialty is kiruf. Some people have specialty in learning to, the, people have the specialties in every area. If there's a kiruf rabbi that has their techniques and they're doing it, there's a reason why they're doing it. They're in the field. Stop arguing with them when you're not in the field. If you're in the field, then fine. Then you argue with them. But if you're not in the field, don't you dare open your mouth. How do you know what you have? Don't be a Dasan and Abiran trying to cause problems without having any solution. There are certain people who just want to cause problems. Cause their names, cause bad names on other rabbis, cause bad publicity on other people for absolutely no reason whatsoever. They don't get anything from it. If you're not coming with a solution, if you're not in the safety field, then keep your mouth shut. Keep your 
little typing fingers to yourself because it's going to save you from the next world. You don't realize what people go through and people fall into the worst level of Gehenom for the bad mouth that they have on people that do God's work. People fall to such, a, to such an extent that people don't realize how far they're fallen and they think that they're right. That's the biggest kicker. They think, you know what? No, I am the righteous man over here. Mashiach has come, they think they're coming straight to them. Thank you for, you know, uncovering all this, this, this hideous activity that's going on in the Jewish nation. The last person that Mashiach is coming is to you, I'll tell you that much. The secular people, Mashiach is gonna come before the people that bash against the rabbis. Before the people that bash against the people that are trying to go and, and, and serve God. People are so confused nowadays. Yes. And now we say, we look at it and be like, maybe they're right, maybe they're not. We look at the son and Aviran. Back now, we look at them and be like, how could they be so foolish? Are you serious? Like, how could they do that? But yet we have people that do the same thing nowadays and we're like, well, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Like, let's read other reviews and other things. Like, let's read that. You know, like, we, we're in the same trap today because we don't see what happened 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. You have to learn from history. If you don't learn from history, history is going to repeat itself. Regardless of whatever, history repeats itself. If you learn from it, you'll be able to, you know, stand in the, in the front of the lines. If you don't learn from it, you're going to keep on falling down the same way that the his, that, that history has taught us that people fell down. So, the son of Iran went and they started, they want to undermine Moshe Rabbeinu. So they went that night and they scattered man all over the fields. The next morning, the Jewish people woke up, they were very happy, the man that they saved over from the night before did not spoil, did not rot, there was no worms that were vibrating the earth. They were very, very happy. But then they had some questions. They were like, well, what are we allowed to do today? Are we, you know, we're not allowed to cook, we're not allowed to clean, we're like, what are we allowed to do? So they went over to Moshe Rabbeinu to try to get some clarification. And Moshe answered all his you know, all the questions that they ask, there's not going to be any man in Shabbat, we don't, care. We don't uh, collect on Shabbat, don't worry about it. Um, and after they asked, they asked, and Moshe Rabbeinu answered all the questions, they left Moshe Rabbeinu. As they left Moshe Rabbeinu, the son and Aviran are walking towards them. And they're like, hey, where's everyone going? And they're like, well, we, you know, we just came from Moshe Rabbeinu, we had all our questions, now we're going back to our tents, you know, we got all our questions answered. They're like, well, aren't you guys going in the wrong directions? We got to go collect the man. If you see the type of people the son of Aviran was, was, because they had to go collect the man. We know the righteous people didn't have to go collect them on. They come on and collect over there. So they're like, I don't know. So which are the people that came and asked Moshe Rabbeinu questions? I don't know. I'm not saying anything. But it's, you, you, you read into some things. It's very interesting to, you know, to come into certain uh, conclusions. Well, they were asking the ones that needed to. Not saying that they were asking that they needed to, but it's, it's something that you need to, you know, put into perspective. There are certain people, I'm only learning it from nowadays. Nowadays you have certain people that question everything the rabbis say. Question everything they say. If you don't want it, stop coming and asking the question. You know, like, oh, you're going to question everything. There's some people that question everything. Oh, but he said this, but he doesn't really know. Blah, 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 blah. You know, all the nonsense that, that spew out of people's mouth. The, is there no question still? I think it's like a question. Who did he perform? Let's leave it for afterwards. We're going to answer, we're going to answer that part. So, Dasan and Iran, whatever they had, they left over, even though it wasn't a lot. They wanted to undermine Moshe Rabbeinu. So they wanted to go and show, hey, listen, if there's even a little speck of something that undermines, Moshe Rabbeinu said no man is supposed to fall on, on Shabbat. If they find even a little bit, that already, you know, you know, undermines Moshe Rabbeinu. So, the son of Iran are walking, and people are walking towards him, and they say, hey, listen, where are you guys going? He says, we're going back. He says, no, we gotta go collect the man. They say, listen, we just spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says, we don't gotta go collect the man, and the Shabbat, no man falls out. So the son of Iran says, hey, listen, um, the, you know, they're one of these things. They want to, you know, between you and me, maybe they start speaking Italian, maybe not, I don't know. Um, between you and me, listen, I, you know, from reliable sources, I heard, you know, that there's going to be some man out in the field. You know, maybe we should go and check it out, you know. I'm just saying, maybe we should check it out, you know. So, um, the, the son of Iran got 
people's minds curious. And they were like, well, maybe we should check it out. You know, maybe there's something we should check out. So they decided they're going to go, and they're going to check out the, the man. So they went, and they went to go and check out the... Um, so, so the, the son, Beran, is, is collecting the crowd, and everyone's going out to the fields. And they're like, we got him. What is that evil laugh? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, now we got Moshe Rabbeinu. They're going to go out there and there's going to be man and they're going to win and uh, who knows what happens going to happen. I don't know what the final was. <laughs> so they go out into the and they go out into the fields where they placed all the man just a few hours earlier and they look around and guess what they see? Nothing. Nada. There's not a single scrap of man. And that's how they're looking around and be like, I promise you, somebody told me there was going to be out of here. Look at that. <laughs> you know, like, there was, must be something over here, and there's nothing. There's nothing. So the son of God says, I don't understand. We just had everything over here. We just had all the man. And one of them looked up, and they saw on the beak of the birds, there was some man that was, you know, like, still... The birds came and they ate it. There's one interpretation by Parashat Shira, why we feed the birds on Shabbat. This is one of the reasons why we feed the birds on Shabbat, because the, the, the son of Iran wanted to go. And one... For Parashat Shira, we go and leave out food for the day before. Um, no, no, beforehand, yeah, yeah. So, because, for, you know, whatever, there's different reasons why we do that on, on Shabbat Shira, but one of the reasons was, was because the birds went and ate all the man that Dasan Aviran placed, to show, because Dasan Aviran wanted to undermine Moshe Rabbeinu, and the birds came and they ate everything up. So we show as a, as a hakarat atov, as a gratitude to the birds, we go and, and feed them on that day. Some people feed them, you know, on every single day. Those people, you could tell, because they have bird poop all over their front. But no, it's very nice, it's very good that they, um, that they do that. What? There's a person on my block that does it every single time. There's a little tree over there that I always know that I have to walk like around the tree. Now it's great. It's a great thing if you want to feed a bird. That's amazing. You feed God's creatures. That's, that's awesome. You know what happens when you feed a cat once, right? Yeah, it always comes back. You feed it for life. Yeah. So um, they say this about certain tzedakah collectors. But um, the, the, that's a good thing. That's, no, that's a good thing. Mitzvah go out mitzvah. You gotta think about the positive. You think about one. Sometimes if you want to give charity, you have to run around to find somebody to give charity to. Here you give once. Mitzvah go out mitzvah. He's very meticulous with some charity collectors. Mitzvah go out mitzvah. Every year I'm gonna come back to you. Make sure that you pay. Okay. You always look at the positive. So now, the, the son of Iran went and they, and they, um, and they caused so many people to go out in there. Now, because they caused people to go out there, they made people desecrate the Shabbat. They were trying to undermine Moshe Rabbeinu, but they ended up desec- people desecrating, uh, desecrating the, the Shabbat. And in fact, if the Jewish people would have kept that, sh- that Shabbat flawlessly, then they would have been immune to the persecution of the non-Jewish nations. They would have been immune. If they would have kept two Shabbats consecutively, yeah, we'll see why the reason was, but that's one of them. The, well, if they would have, the Jews, Jewish people would have kept two Shabbats consecutively, the redemption would have come, the Mashiach would have come already. So, now, the day went on, and, and the Jewish people were starting to get nervous. But wait a minute, there was no man that fell today. What about tomorrow? What about Sunday? What if, well, we're going to still have food. So Moshe Rabbeinu went to them and said, listen, it says today that, Moshe Rabbeinu, that, uh, that the man is not going to fall, because today is Shabbat. But tomorrow is Sunday. Tomorrow you're going to have the continuous of, uh, you know, of, of, of man. And Moshe Rabbeinu warned them, make sure you don't, you don't leave over any man that's left over from Shabbat till tomorrow. Because just like it was, left, it was okay to leave over from Friday to Shabbat, it's not okay to leave over from Shabbat till Sunday. So, the, there's Midrashim that bring out very interesting ideas during this, uh, you know, in this, in this little section of the, of the Torah. That 
the pasuk where it says that they have to eat it, they, they have to eat the man today and not leave any man over for tomorrow because today is Shabbat. In that pasuk it says today, it says hayom three times. This is in, um, this is alluding to three meals that you must be eaten on Shabbat. You have one in the night and two during the day. Now, the, our sages tell us that if somebody goes and is meticulous in keeping the three Shabbat meals, he's spared from, or she is spared from three major catastrophes. Number one is the Melchamed Gogumagog. Number two is the birth pangs of Mashiach, as the Chevle Mashiach. And number three is from the great day of judgment, which follows afterwards with uh, something that is known as purgatory. Let's use that word. Yeah. So meaning, meaning after like we we die. Yeah. Yeah. So Mashiach. Yeah. So the Mamalos brings down the first meal on Friday night. You should have in mind this is the merit of Yitzchak. That in merit of the Friday night meal, in merit of Yitzchak, you're going to be, and you eat it, you do everything which you're going to speak about, how you're supposed to do it. You're going to do it correctly, you're going to be safe from the birth pangs of Mashiach. The second meal, which is a Shabbat morning, you're supposed to have in mind Avraham Avinu's merit. And because of that, you're going to be spared from the punishment of Gehenom after the great day of the judgment. The third meal is the merit of Yaakov Avinu, and you're going to be saved from the merit of, Goguma, of, the, of the suffering of Gogumagog. Now when you eat the meals, how are you supposed to eat the meals? You're supposed to eat it with joy, peace, happiness, love, you're not supposed to be with anger, not thinking about business, not thinking about anything else, not only about Shabbat and only happiness and, and shalom that goes on in there. Now, if you do, then the first meal, you eat it with happiness, joy, and you have the correct Onek Shabbat, you, you learn Torah and sh- the, the, during the meals, you don't speak, whatever, you know, everything you do correctly, then the first meal is going to bless you for Sunday and Monday. The second meal, which is Shabbat day, is going to bless you for Tuesday and Wednesday. The third meal is going to bless you for Thursday and Friday. So the three meals of Shabbat correspond to each day of the week that's going to give you a blessing for that day of the, you know, from, from that day of the week. Now what happens if you don't and you neglect on the three Shabbat meals? So you're supposed to have an Oneg on Shabbat. Now if you're de- neglecting on the Shabbat meals, then you're going to go Oneg backwards is Nega. Or not backwards, you know, mix it up. Nega is what? Is a plague, is affliction. You're gonna be, you're gonna be afflicted with disease and sickness if you don't keep the, the oneg of, of Shabbat. Um, while we're speaking about this, just a good, uh, you know, idea of, you know, spoke about last week regarding the Alechem Mishneh. We should have, if we didn't have, we, you know, we should have, that's it. Um, but when you have Lechem Mishneh, what challah are you supposed to cut? The top one or the bottom one? Top one. Depends, depends. So it's based on Kabbalistic oh, interpretation. The, the Friday night you cut from the bottom one. The Shabbat day and the, and Shabbat, so that's you, you, you do from the top one. Obviously you do the, not everybody knows this. You, you, the, the one that you're cutting should be the one that's protruding also. It should be closer, uh, closer to you. So, in any case, um, after the Jewish people went and they desecrated the Shabbat because of the son of Elan and because of their, uh, you know, their, their posse that they brought along, Hashem went and Hashem rebuked them. He rebuked Moshe Rabbeinu and he rebuked the Jewish people. Now Moshe Rabbeinu, what did he do wrong? He didn't desecrate the Shabbat, but because he had some sort of responsibility of it, also because every Jewish person is connected to another person. So because of that, Moshe Rabbeinu was also rebuked for not keeping, uh, uh, for, for the desecration of Shabbat. Now when God went and admonished and gave rebuke, gave criticism to the Jewish people on Shabbat, he did it in a uh, not generalizing way, in a more openly way, not to embarrass the particular people that went and they, they caused the, uh, the desecration of Shabbat. The, the Midrash brings down that Rabbi Huda Anasi was one time was teaching in class. Rabbi Huda Anasi was very, very meticulous. He couldn't stand garlic breath. 
If somebody had garlic, you should not go to his class. But there was one time that he was giving a class and somebody ate garlic and it was smelled really bad. And he said, somebody here ate garlic. So the person that ate garlic, please get up and leave. Garlic, if you ever have garlic, if you ever realize garlic has very, garlic has such a power that if you eat enough garlic, it actually, it, your sweat smells of garlic. Right, so if you eat a lot of garlic bread, I'm just kidding. Um, if you eat a lot of garlic, you know, I see no one ate garlic bread. So if you eat a lot of garlic, it actually see, you actually smell of uh, you know of it. So Rabbi Yehuda Nasi says, whoever ate garlic, please get up and and get out. It was too disturbing. So Rabbi Chia got up and he left. What happened was, is one by one, every student got up and left after Rabbi Chia. So the next day. Rabbi Huda's son, which his name was Rabbi Shimon, goes over to Abhi and he says, I don't understand, why did you eat garlic? He was the first person that set up. He says, why did you eat garlic? You know that my father, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, he cannot stand garlic, you know, the smell. Like, why would you eat garlic and go to class? He says, chas v'shalom, you think I ate garlic? He said, I didn't eat garlic. He said, but what would happen if the person that ate garlic would have to stand up and he would have to leave? He says, that's very embarrassing for that person. Maybe he forgot, maybe he didn't know. He says, you know what, I'll take it on myself. He stood up, you know, big Rabbi Chia stood up and he left. And what, the students were very smart students. They saw the rabbi leave. They realized what he's, so they all stood up. So eventually the guy that ate garlic also stood up, but he didn't get embarrassed. Now, where did he learn it from? He learned it from Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, he learned it from Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, there is a way that you can get married through intercourse. Uh, it's not, you know, the most appropriate thing to do because of the associations and, you know, involved with it, but you are halakhically able to get married through intercourse. So one woman came into the Rabbi Meir's academy and he said, somebody here married me through intercourse and, you know, and, and she doesn't remember who it was. So a mayor got up, wrote her a bill of divorce, a get, and he gave it to her. And then the students saw that, so they all wrote a bill of divorce. They, every, every student in the, in the academy wrote a get, and he gave it to her. Why did they give it to her? Because they didn't want that the one person that did something, that even though halakhically was okay, but it was not in the right eyes, shouldn't have done it, he would have been embarrassed that he was the one he had to write a bill of divorce. So everybody wrote a get, just to not embarrass that, uh, you know, that person that did it. Where did Rab Meir learn it from? Rab Meir went and he learned it from Shmuel. How, what happened with Shmuel? And we can, by the way, it goes on. But um, because it's late, I'm not going to go on. Rab Shmuel, there's a few. Where does it all go back to? He learned it from this rabbi. I learned it from this rabbi. I learned it from Moshe Rabbeinu. I learned it from from God. From or it all came from you know from that thing that when you when you go and you and you admonish people and you give people a rebuke, it's better not to embarrass people. Give it in a general you know idea unless you're speaking to somebody one on one and you need to give a you know the rebuke. But in general, you don't want to embarrass people in in uh, you know in public. Uh, and that is a lesson that we learned from here. So, Hashem goes to the, Moshe Rabbeinu, goes to the Jewish people. He says, listen. He says, guys, I gave you two prohibitions. Two is not. Do not leave over any man. And do not go collect any man on Shabbat. Both of those things you messed up. Both of those things you violated. You violated the two commandments I told you do not do. He says, if you cannot hold on to these, how are you supposed to hold on to the whole Torah? How are you going to do that? And he says, don't you understand the merit of Shabbat? How important it is Shabbat? Shabbat, because of the merit of Shabbat, the Midrashim tell us, that there are, there are three things that came in the merit of Shabbat. Number one, the three festivals. You have Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot came in the merit of Shabbat. Number two, the land of Israel came in the merit of Shabbat. Olam Haba comes in the merit of Shabbat. It says, and you guys messed this up? Furthermore, says, you know, God says, this is all the miracles that I performed for you were in the merit of Shabbat. Moshe, after, after, uh, and also God says that the, the keeping of Shabbat is comparable to keeping the Torah. People don't understand the importance of Shabbat. People don't understand the, the severity of Shabbat. So, Hashem was giving the rebuke. Moshe Rabbeinu accepted the rebuke with humility and, um, and he went to relay this information to the Jewish people. Now, People, for example, what, would the, what was the sin of the, of the Jewish people? So before we even speak about the specificities of the sin, 
we all know you're not allowed to carry, unless you have a rub, you're not allowed to carry on Shabbat. But people are not so familiar, you're not allowed to walk out of the tchum, you're not allowed to walk out of the encampment. So you have the, um, if, if after the encampment, after 2,000 amot, after the encampment, you're not allowed to go and you're not allowed to, uh, you're not allowed to walk out of it. And if you do end up walking out, out of the encampment for whatever reason, you have to stay there until after Shabbat. You have four amot to walk in each direction, and after that you have to stay there until, until after Shabbat. So, the, there was once, the Mamlaws brings down a story that the ones who were, there were brothers that came to a, um, that came to a city, and they, what was their sin? They walked through the Tchum Shabbat. They arrived Friday night, and the people realized that they walked through the Tchum Shabbat. And it says over there, all the terrible, like, you know, they, they did it by accident. But what did the sages tell them they have to do? Number one, you have to fast for 50 days straight consecutively. 50 days. That doesn't mean you don't... One, exactly. One by accident Shabbat. So you fast like for 50 Ramadan, days. For you fa- yeah. You do a, you do a Muslim thingy, plus 10 days. My Ramadan, I think, is 40 days, no? So, um, uh, for 30 days? Okay, 30 days, so time and a half, and then a little bit more. So, um, the, they would have to go and they would have to fast for 50 days. Why 50 days? Because one of the, 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 the punishments of desecrating the Shabbat is karet. What was karet? One of the, des- one of the punishments of Shabbat, which is karet, is that you die before the age of 50. So says, oh, you died. So now they have to go. Correspond to that, they they fast for fifty for fifty eight days straight. They also have to give a lot of charity. Besides all that, they fasted for three days. Wasn't it by accident, though? Yes, the man was being This is all for by accident. This is the importance of Shabbat. Now, what do you do nowadays? We're not talking about practical halachat lemaaseh for today. I'm not telling you what you need to do nowadays if you desecrate your body, this is what you need to do. I'm just telling you what it says in the Midrashim, straight out. The, um, but it was by accident. They fasted for 50 days. After that, they had to give a, you know, significant amount of money to charity. They also had to say not to, they're not gonna, you know, obviously vow not to do it anymore, be extra careful. They also had to fast for thir- for three days every month. So three days every month for one year, that's three times 12 is? 36, very good. 36. Is why 36 fast? Because there's 36 sins that, that, uh, that are, are punishable by karat. Corresponding to those things, they had to go and uh, fast for 36. So there was a lot of things that they had to do just for a unintentional desecration of Shabbat. This is what we're dealing with with Shabbat. Uh, you know, people don't realize, going, okay, whatever, I just watched a movie. Like, oh, I just, you know, checked my phone. People don't realize the severity of Shabbat. People don't realize the importance of Shabbat. People don't realize the, the consequences that people have to deal with when, when, uh, you know, desecrating the Shabbat. When, what was the sin that they did? So there was a few interpretations of what the sin that Jewish people did. One, number one, they say that they carried. They carried the receptacles that would have to go and collect them on. Number two is that they went and they, 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 they touched things that were muksa, the things that were not, and give me, give me. Okay, so give me, I wanna almost, I wanna, I'm almost finished and then we're gonna go open up for questions. It's, it's a little bit very late. Okay, so the, the other, the other, the other idea was that they went outside the the tomb. They went outside the um, the encampment where they were supposed to walk on 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 Shabbat. Regardless of whatever happened, Moshe Rabbeinu went and gave the rebuke, and the Jewish people accepted the rebuke as well. And they accepted, it and they were very very meticulous on their Shabbat observance. The Moshe Rabbeinu went, and he also told Aaron to go and keep a jar of man for safeguard keeping. Put a jar, and this jar is not going to spoil, it's not going to rot. In fact, it, it lasted 900 years later. In the time of Prophet Yirmiyahu, the Jewish people were not learning Torah. They had to say, listen, how, you know, they, we have to go and work. So he, but the Prophet Yirmiyahu brought out this jar of the man, and he said, listen, he says, look at the time of the man, the Jewish people, when the man, God, God took care of them, all they had to do is do whatever God wanted, and God sent them the man. The same lesson that you have to, that you have for nowadays is that you just like back then God took care of them when they, when they did what they were supposed to do, so to you, you do what you're supposed to do, which is learning Torah, doing the mitzvah, doing things that you're doing, God is going to take care of your panasa. So, the... Well, if you had to do a shtar, 
always you have to do with shadows. Shadows shouldn't come on the on the uh, on the hands of, of religious observance. You know, somebody doesn't. You know, so somebody needs to do shadow. Doesn't mean that they can't keep Shabbat because they have to open the store because that's when they make the most money. So they shadow. Of course, you have to work. Of course, you have to. Right, so obviously for every particular person, speak to your local Orthodox rabbi, whatever, obviously find out what is the correct thing to do, but there's a line. There's a line where you don't cross, and there's a line where you can go up to the line. So obviously to each their own. The God, God you know, you know, the whole concept of, of what's going on over here is that generally we're God, you know, we're God, not generally, we're God's servants. The servant brings food for the master. But what did God do? God, the master, bought food for the servants to show you the level of how much God, God loved the Jewish, uh, you know, the Jewish people. This lasted, the man lasted for 40 years until, the, until Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, which is on the seventh of Adam, Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. That's when the, the, the man uh, stopped. One final thing I want to bring up and then we'll, we'll deal with the questions is some people say, you say like, they, they tried to, the Bible critics go and they tried to claim the man was a natural substance. It was in a desert, there was a bush, whatever it is that they go on. People say that. Oh, if you would know the question that I ask, and you say, well, how do people, you know, I ask that question time and time again. People ask this question. So number one, there's, there's a few answers to this. Number one, you go to the Sinai Desert now. Is there any of this man left over? No, why not? If it's a natural substance that happened in that area, why is it not here anymore nowadays? Furthermore, if it was a natural substance, how was it that it was double every Friday? And how was it that it was never on Shabbat? How did that work out? How is that supposed to be natural? Furthermore, it only fell wherever the Israelis camped. So wherever the Israelis went over here, that's when it went. it went over here, it went over there. So how are you saying that it was that, that it came only as a natural substance? There are some people that ask questions on the Torah, they ask questions on Judaism, but the questions are so elementary, not even elementary, they don't even know the elementary ideas in it. Because if you would understand the elementary found, foundations of the Torah, there was no questions that could come up. There are, you know, you, you say like, okay, listen, maybe it was a miraculous thing that happened, but people didn't realize it because whatever, some crazy thing. If there was a miracle that happened for 40 years straight, consecutively, you can't say that people were like in, you know, in a different world. You can't say, if it happened so many times consecutively, you know that the people were, were seeing this were in a straight mindset. They were not overwhelmed. They were dealing with this in a very, very straight mindset. And it was written in the Torah. It was, and Moshe Rabbeinu gave the thought to the Jewish people. If it was a fake, the Jewish people would say, hey, wait a minute. This never happened. This is one of the strongest proofs that you have that the, that the, the Torah, um, one of the many strongest proofs that you have in the Torah. The Torah is legit. Look at the story of the man. You can't sell that to the Jewish people when you give them the Torah and be like, hey, this never happened. But if this, if Moshe Rabbeinu said this happened for 40 years straight, without a break, except on Shabbat, all these particular things and Omer measurement, there are so many miraculous things that happen over here. You want to go and you read the Torah and you say the Torah is not true, then you're lying to yourself. You're not doing justice. You're not searching for the truth. You're just searching for problems and for questions. Because if you really search for the truth, there is no answer that you could give to this. There's nothing that you could respond to these, to these, to these questions. You want to have questions? That's because you want to have questions. You're not looking for answers. But if you're looking for answers, You'll find out that there, all the Torah, the Torah answers everything. Everything is in Torah. Everything is in Torah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.